0: Hi everyone. It's Jivana. I just want to come on for a moment and thank our sponsor offering tree. They're an all-in-one easy to use community backed business that saves you time, energy, and money as a yoga teacher. Offering tree allows you to create a website in less than 30 minutes. Plus you get a discount through accessible yoga. Just go to offeringtree.com backslash accessible yoga to get your discount today. Okay. Here's our episode.
1: Welcome to the Love of Yoga podcast. I'm your host, Anjali Rao. This podcast explores the connections between the teachings of yoga for self and collective transformation. We dive into how spirituality and philosophy can ignite social change. I share conversations with folks who are on the front lines of justice and liberatory movements, thought leaders and change makers, disruptors, and healers. This description of a thought leader and a disruptor, a change maker, is befitting of my next guest, Ash Williams. Ash Williams is an anti-carceral and a reproductive justice organizer. He has an MA in Ethics and Applied Philosophy from University of North Carolina, Charlotte, And since about five years, ASH has been vigorously fighting to expand abortion access by funding abortions and training other people to become abortion doulas. And I've had the pleasure and the honor of having a few conversations with ASH, and it has always struck me how deeply passionate informed and articulate Ashes and I cannot wait to dive into this topic of Black spirituality injustice movements with Ash. Welcome Ash and I'm so excited to have this particular conversation with you.
2: Thanks AKR, I'm very excited to be here and to be with the listeners.
1: And for those of you who don't know, I'm called AKR by many of my friends and students. Um, and it's an honor that Ash calls me that. Um, so Ash, would can you describe in your own words, what, what is it that you do? Who is it that you are? I started to giggle AKR because... <laughs>
2: to describe what I do and who I am. I don't know if we have enough time, but I know um, I
1: don't think we do.
2: (laughs) I am a person. I think I'm a person. Um, I'm from a so-called Fayetteville, North Carolina. Um, I'm or I was a military kid. Um, Perhaps there are people who might be able to identify with that kind of carceral upbringing. I am a community organizer um, organizing at the intersections of gender justice, environmental justice, reproductive justice, racial justice um, and uh, liberatory practices of freedom. Um, I'm someone who believes in putting my mind. And my body and my heart on the line uh, to advance the values uh, that I think are important, which are values um, informed by care uh, and informed by like the autonomy of other people, too. Um, I am a person who reads. I like to read. I'm a student. I'm a learner. I'm a teacher. Um, I used to teach dance. um, And before I caught a charge, I was teaching women's and gender studies at the university level. Um, And in my organizing work, I do uh, a lot of different things. But one of my areas is political education, where we get to chew on um, those theories that we think we might want to put into practice. I'm really excited about reading and, and studying with other people people um, about how we can uh, use our bodies, our hearts and our minds to advance principles like freedom and autonomy and justice. Um, And really, I want to know what those things, what those things and other things, what those mean to other people. Um, And so I like to connect through books or um, other, other spaces, other,
1: other texts. Mhm. I love that and I particularly love the connections that you're drawing between philosophy and spirituality in liberation movements because I feel like there is so much of a disconnect sometimes that people think that these concepts are very esoteric, abstract and hence something that we can study but how do we really apply those teachings and I really am always asking those questions of myself. And I hope whoever I'm in contact with. So what what are some of those teachings that really inspire and ignite your work in the world? The teachings. So um,
2: for one thing, for one thing, I certainly believe that I am a student of uh, the reproductive justice history and framework. Um, and so when I think about like, when I think about um, applying certain teachings um, and the teachings that are close to me and sit out to me. I'm thinking about the reproductive justice history um, as well, as a part of that. Um, there are these really fine uh, and kind of laid out principles that reproductive justice has for us. Um, the first one says that every person um, should be able to decide if they will give birth. Um, and they should be able to decide the conditions under which they will give birth. And then the second one, which is like, uh, really, uh, really, what is the word audacious, it says that people should get to decide that they won't have a baby, and they should get to decide the conditions under which they will end pregnancy and gestation as well. Mm. Um, And I also so here, AKR, I want to bracket Uh, or kind of lay off to the side, right? Like pregnancy uh, and abortion and gestating Um, in terms of black spirituality. I know those things to be uh, processes, transitions, and in along the way, uh, you know, white supremacy, carceral logics, it is really kind of messed up for us how we like ought to understand certain types of processes, um, certain types of transitions. And so here I'm thinking about birth um, and abortion as a type of transition as a process. And so reproductive justice says that people ought to decide like how they will undergo and experience these processes. Um, There's a third principle that says that every person who exists in the world, we should live free from harm from another motherfucker, from the government, from the environment, from the state who wishes to do us harm, right? So here, uh, um, something like a cop city in Atlanta is a matter of reproductive oppression, but so is something like um, ICE picking up children from their bus stops on their way to school. And so is like the forced sterilization of Puerto Rican women for contraceptive pills. Um, and these are so. These are uh, examples of what are re- what are called reproductive oppressions, and um, I love this framework for reproductive justice because it says that we deserve to live free from these things. Um, it also acknowledges that. Um, The reproductive kind of burdens and barriers, uh, they don't begin and end with things like pregnancy and abortion, but they extend to like family, community, work, environment. Um, And then there's a last kind of piece of this, this history of reproductive justice. And it says that we need to decolonize sex and pleasure. If we really want to get back to uh, maybe what like African and indigenous peoples were doing uh, before um, and like along with uh, centuries of like genocide um, and really harmful types of oppressions, um, we have to kind of decolonize what we think we know about a thing. We have to queer what we think we know about this thing um, and able, in order to understand it. Um, And so sex and pleasure is on the table for us to decolonize. Um, And here I'm thinking like, what does it mean that we live in a culture where sex, for example, is very taboo, but we also um, live in um, a very hyper-sexualized kind of society that like goes so far as to like sexualize children. Like that's how far it can go sometimes. Um, And there is this like, um idea that like we don't talk about sex openly we uh you know and for me these things are not binaries but they are uh kind of things that make me want to kind of really think about decolonizing sex and pleasure um and so I yeah I'm thinking about this this um these this set of teachings or the teachings that accompany the framework and the principles that I've named. And I think about how I often return to them um, throughout my work whether that be um, fighting jails and prisons or um, trying to stand up against fascism in my community or stand up against the police who wish to do um, harm to us all, but specifically homeless and houseless people. Um, I return to these teachings um, in order to kind of ground my understanding of an issue, but also to help me know um, what needs to happen next if I want to attempt to address um, and a key part of this the this the, the principles, um, one of the foundations to them is that um, we don't live single issue lives. And so our way forward ought not be single minded either. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm thinking about collaboration. I'm thinking about creativity. I'm thinking about emergent strategies. I'm thinking about uh, working with other people who I know, uh, you know, are concerned about some of the same things that I'm concerned about as it relates to bodily autonomy and who really gets to decide um, if they will uh, live in a safe and healthy environment and what that really looks like. Um, I'm excited to think about that with other people.
1: Ooh, you've given us so much to think about right now. And I really want to uh, go back to what you said about pleasure and joy and how that has been treated with such a a puritanical, sensorial lens uh, because of colonization and capitalism. And a lot of teachings of yoga actually go... To the the exploration of human experience and pleasure is, of course, a part of that. So, we are very much in sync about what you're saying. And sounds like there's a lot of overlap between, you know, Black spirituality, indigenous thought traditions, belief systems, as well as yoga so to speak, in a a very broad way. Um, Is there anything that you want to share about that? Um, Along with that setup that you
2: just laid out for us, I'm also thinking about where, so where uh, grief and joy belong along that constellation that you've laid out for us so beautifully. Um, Because I think it's up there too, Mm -hmm. um, attached and entangled. Um, And I, again, here, I wonder where and how.
1: Yeah, because I think, you know, we we go back, we go to very binary ways of thinking. We are like, if if j- just we define justice or liberation movement sometimes as something we are anti. What are we anti? What are we taking down? Rather than see thinking about how are we building it up? You know, um abolition movement is about building something. We're building something which is pro-people rather than just taking down something which is anti, you know. So I think it's important for us to hold grief and joy and look at how our spiritual teachings are informing both of that. So to go back to what you were saying about standing up for folks, especially people who have been harmed historically and who are still harmed, by uh, systems and institutions that are rooted in white supremacy. And in, in the in the past four or five years, when there has been so much of attack on the rights to reproduction in a so-called post row world, your work as an abortion doula is vital service to so many folks who are seeking care. And I also was reading your interview in NPR where you talked about offering gender affirming care uh for people who have who are seeking abortion what can you share about this reality ash especially in states that have banned abortion and are and or severely restricted access to abortion thank you um akr for another
2: opportunity to like be at the intersections um and so what i want people to know here is that as it relates to trans healthcare, um, trans folks are underserved. Our care is under researched. Um, what people the extent to which the medical industrial complex will do will go, excuse me, to be able to understand how to show up for us better. Like it's not happening. It's not it's not there. Um, and when we when I think about abortion care I'm thinking about still gender affirming Healthcare trans Health care and I am and I understand and know um based on my own experience and the experience of others that um trans folks are being um undermet here as well um I'm talking about, what it looks like to go into an abortion clinic um, and have to show your uh, legal documents and no one asks you what your name is actually is, or what your pronouns are. And from the kind of onset of this decision to have an abortion, there is this kind of inherent misgendering. Um, first of all, you know, people are considering every person who is pregnant to be a mother to be a mother with a capital M. This is an issue. Uh, we need to really unpack this. Um, and, uh, for trans folks, this presents another kind of layered, uh, problem as it relates to accessing care. Um, I don't know for, for a cisgender person, uh, going to a healthcare appointment. I, I, I can only imagine how it might be, uh, what it might be like for them to continue to be misnamed, uh, continue to be misgendered, uh, continue to be undermined about their body, about their care, about uh, what they need even. Um, And that is that is the reality that transgender people are experiencing um, when they have abortions and when they interact with the medical industrial complex in general. Um, I'm talking about going to the dentist, going to a primary care appointment, and um having an abortion which is already always like a um um something that is kind of marginalized um and i one of the things that i aim to kind of uh achieve in the practice of being an abortion doula is to really meaningfully um, and intentionally serve queer and trans people, um, making sure that I'm uh, naming them the way they want to be named, gendering them the way they want to be gendered, and that I'm understanding um, their identity, their pronouns, their sexuality in relation to how uh, they want to be understood Um, As a person in the world too And I'm able to use my Experience having two Surgical abortions as a Transgender person um, I'm able To use that when I show up um, and I I definitely remember what it felt like. Um, and I try to fill in some of those gaps um by asking people about their partners um, and giving space uh that there might be more than one. Um, I make sure that I am attentive to um if folks have any any particular concerns, I ask them about what we can do maybe to make it a little easier when they go into that clinic. Um and and so also. A.K.R. Sorry, Arthur's barking a little bit here, but the care that I am kind of offering people, I want it to be an example for how the medical industrial complex ought to care for people. And I know that's such a pipe dream, but I I also want it to be an example to the person that like this is how you should be treated every time um, a caregiver a medical professional has an idea about like touching you um, they should ask um It is during uh, caring for someone around their abortion that I get to have these conversations about consent with people, about what it should look like when they go to a right, a a different kind of doctor's appointment um, or uh, how it should be the the idea that they should be allowed to ask questions and also naming that there is a big power dynamic between themselves as the patient and the doctor and maybe the other people who are showing up to care for them as well. and I, I understand myself as an abortion doula, as like um, working beyond the medical industrial complex, but in some ways a part of it. And so it's really important and into, Im, important for me to make sure I'm not um, repeating these harms that people may have faced um, as it relates to their health care. Mm,
1: thank you. Thank you for sharing that and your experiences and your work. Um, it is gen- it is. Absolutely integral and inspiring, if if I can use that word, uh, to even just hear you speak about it. So thank you so much, Ash, for sharing that. How can we support you? And you mentioned that, you know, you really are interested in collaborating, working with folks who are doing this work, being in some sort of a connection relationship with folks who are doing similar work in other justice movements, perhaps. How can we support you and how can we support other folks who are providing this service? How can we be in solidarity?
2: Um, in order for us to move into a time in and in a space where um, everyone is really critically interrogating things like the gender binary and the way that, uh, or the role that like white supremacy plays as Americans understand gender and sexuality. Um, it's so important for us to or I I'm remembering that um like there's a lot of work for us to do um and I'm also remembering that um if things are changing if we're going to see more paradigmatic shifts um then it means that people are trying maybe they're fucking up but at least they're trying and so I want to like first encourage people to like critically interrogate uh the way that the gender binary and also things like carceral logics show up in their own lives. Um, and then after they do that, I think we can start to maybe have a conversation about some of the things we're talking about today. But You know, when I am um, sharing with students and organizers and and people who want to get aligned or be more involved, I remind them that, um, you know, you don't have to be an abortion doula to affirm someone's decision to have an abortion or to support someone who's decided to have an abortion. You do not have to be an abortion doula to use gender neutral language, for example, as it relates to abortion care and all types of reproductive care. Um, You don't need to be an abortion doula to help someone uh, get to their appointment or pay for their procedure or uh, to receive the pills in the mail because they can't. None of um, there isn't anything required to answer this call. Right. Um, And I want people to know that. um, And I want people to know that it's going to take all of us doing our little part. Um, whatever that may be, to kind of changing the culture um, as it relates to abortion and as it relates to um, you know LGBTQ inclusivity, uh, and I'm saying that word like ooh, like oh, because I'm not I'm not asking to be included, but I need people to get out of my way now. Yep, yep,
1: beautifully said.
0: Hi everyone. I just wanna pop in here really quick and remind you about our sponsor, Offering Tree. As yoga teachers, we are our own business managers, website designers, and producers. It's a lot. And Offering Tree offers an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to succeed while we're doing all the things. And I'd just like to say that through this partnership with the Love of Yoga podcast, Offering Tree has shown that it's committed to supporting accessibility and equity in the yoga world. Offering Tree is a public benefit corporation and they're driven by a mission of wellness accessibility which we share with them on Accessible Yoga. As an Offering Tree user you'll get uh, to join a supportive educational community and you'll also get free webinars with top experts in wellness and entrepreneurship and of course you get a discount so go to offeringtree.com backslash Accessible Yoga to learn more and to get your discount. Okay, let's go back to the episode.
1: I agree. I think the word inclusiveness and uh all of that has been bandied about so much. But what we really need for folks to understand is that we don't want to be included. And I speak for myself as a person of color. I just want people to pass the mic and you know, just uh get out of the way, like you said so beautifully. I absolutely agree with that. In your what would you think is an example of how people can dismantle or understand carceral logic in our lives, in our everyday lives. Can you share an example? Um,
2: Here, I'm thinking about, um, I'm thinking about like calling the cops. I'm thinking about how, unless we are um, kind of trained not to think this way, um, many of us uh, consider the police um as people who might be able to answer uh to or for violence that happens in the community um and I'm thinking about how one thing that we can all do I think uh is to train ourselves to kind of rely on the police and the state a lot less and that means opening our hearts and trusting our neighbors and people we don't fucking know more yeah but You know, that isn't, uh, that uh, seems exciting to me as it relates to like, it's either that or we allow the police to figure it out with us. I think that they have given us um, clear uh, examples about like what happens when they show up or how they figure things out. And when they figure things out, people die. Um, People are traumatized. Um, People go without. And I think that something different happens when we rely on our community. Um, and I remember the, the time that someone rem- like offered to me, uh, reminded me that like, I didn't have to rely on the police. Um, I'm thinking here about uh, getting into a car accident For example, sometimes folks are thinking that the first thing they ought to do is call the police. Um, It's not actually a necessary thing, Um, both for like the people involved and the insurance company. Um, I did have to kind of go back and forth with my insurance company once a little bit, But, and for the majority of of, um, insurance companies, they don't require a police report to kind of attend to uh, vehicle damage or collision. And um, I am also like, uh, like I'm reminded about um, a workshop that I taught around six years ago, uh, my friends in my community. It was called Don't Call the Cops building alternatives to calling the police. And we went through these scenarios of being in the car, having a car accident. Um, we also went through a scenario of intimate partner violence and then um, like a home invasion. And AKR, like what um, what kind of came out of those spaces is that um, the way that we need to respond to violence or harm for us as individuals, like it's not actually up to us as individuals to figure those things out alone, and so what I was, what we were trying to do in um, kind of demonstrating, like this is the space where we're figuring it out. Like, what would you do? Asking each other questions, but also building the knowledge base to be able to respond collectively. Yes, um, but first, it it, it first it, it takes trust. Yes. Like I have to know that like there are other people that are also interested in doing this thing with me, finding justice with me, dismantling white supremacy with me. And then I can do it. Even my abortion doula work in these criminalized times, being an abortion doula alone with no, you know, group to be accountable to or ask questions to, or like that knows, you know, what I'm go what I have going on, it it wouldn't, it it just can't be that way anymore. And so we've got to, whatever our work is, we've got to do it with other people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I really like that, that you're talking about knowing our neighbors. I mean, that's like step, that's like a small thing that, that we can do. And it's, I think one of the most important integral thing is to really build connections, which are authentic. Uh, That's one of my favorite sort of tenet that I talk about and hope to practice and embody is really have relationships that are authentic rather than transactional and building that trust. Because what colonization did was really disrupt those connections. It made it all about trusting the so-called state and the institution to provide some sort of a service. And then that was capitalized, of course. Um, So I'm so appreciative of what you talked about, building trust and having those connections, those relationships, those friendships and that's i think that's the only way we can shift a culture which is so deeply embedded in individualistic framework for everything including social change so we are we are working on this together we are co-creating this reality together we are reimagining this world together i think that is what comes up for me a lot with what you shared and i appreciate that so much ash How does Black spirituality inform and inspire justice work for you? You have shared a little bit about that in the beginning. Can we go back to this question?
2: Yes, um, AKR, absolutely. I'm thinking here um, about uh, binaries, um, Black and white, uh, life and death, birth and abortion. Um, And I'm thinking about how uh, Black spirituality actually Like asks us, begs us to um, refuse these binaries. Um, Here, I'm specifically thinking about uh, again one of my like teachings uh, that's dear to me, which is that abortion is birth. Abortion is a type of birth. One of my teachers taught me, and uh, it blew my mind. And I, um, what? But what? So what I understand them to be saying is that um, abortion is a process it is a transition, so is birth, um, but also like, I mean, if you wanna get to the nitty gritty and the tech, the technical things of it, um, miscarriage uh, and abortion, um, they are medically the same things. If a doctor was to induce a miscarriage or I'm sorry, induce an abortion, it would look the same as a miscarriage. Um, And many of the uh, care techniques, many of the physical comfort measures, some of the medications even, I'm specifically thinking here about the abortion uh, medication, misoprostol—it it is used in birth. Um, It is used in uh, other types of reproductive processes. And, And we can thank the medical industrial complex. We can also thank white supremacy as well as the institutionalization and the medicalization of birth uh, for this binary thinking. Um, I'm literally talking about how they used to have babies and have abortions in the same part of the same hospital. And now uh, where are the abortion where do the abortions happen in these clinics? outside of the hospital like many people don't know that abortions used to happen in the hospital because that's how regular degular schmegular they are and they were and people knew that um you know it's okay for people to receive the same kind of care in the same part of the hospital by the same caregivers and here I'm thinking about granny midwives along with that institutionalization of birth came this um removal, this institutional removal of black women, black caregivers as knowledge bearers, um, getting them out of the hospitals, making them pass tests when um, at the same time, the medical industrial complex is modeling how to catch babies off of what black enslaved and formerly enslaved women were doing. Um, it, it was, it is the granny midwives who would go and teach the white young nurses, the white young midwives, how uh, to catch the babies, how to help uh, the parents. And so I'm thinking about this, this lineage or something. I'm thinking about, what did we say? Decolonizing. I'm thinking about this um, sankofa, sankofa, this black spiritual idea about going back and get it. Sankofa S A N K O F A Sankofa it means to go back and get it um it means that we've got to like look to the past to inform what we need to do in the future but it also means that like there's not going to be or like we can't go into the next time without something from before um And so for me, when I think about Black spirituality, when I think about this Sankofiq logic, I think about it being all about busting binaries and breaking down these binaries and showing that
1: entanglement. Mm -hmm. 100% agree. I'm nodding my head very vociferously because I really, really emphasize that we really have to know what has happened in the past because the past, the present, the future are interlinked. We cannot divorce ourselves from what has happened in the past and and to know that there are many histories that we have to study from and know whose narrative we are using to inform the present. So I so appreciate you bringing that up. And I also want to ask you, this work that you're doing is integral, of course, and I'm sure that there have been times that you have felt despair one of the
2: things that keeps me going and grounded akr are the people that need my support um no matter what the supreme court says no matter what the legislators say um people uh will continue to have abortions and they'll continue to need support um, and I hope to be someone who's there for them, just one in the number. Um, and um, I can't get too bogged down uh, with all of the bans and uh, the new uh, creeping legislation uh, because people need me to support them in getting to their appointments that they have that are coming up. Um, and that is that has been the greatest thing that can ground me. I also take care of myself Uh, And I'm a part of a community where other people uh, take care of me too. Uh, And they make sure that I can keep going, whether it be by making sure I'm getting outside or I have enough food to eat or that I'm not working too much and that I save a little piece of my care uh, for myself. Um, I am encouraged by those people in my community. And I'm also encouraged by the need, the need for support.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, we really want you to be well taken care of. So please, I will share your links, anything that we can support you with, any endeavor or just taking care of you because you are so needed in the world, uh, Ash. Most of the listeners of this podcast are yoga practitioners. And one of the tenets of yoga is about Ahimsa, which is the practice of non-harming, actively disrupting harm, and knowing our own role in in the collective, having an engaged practice of yoga. How would you think we can actively disrupt harm in the world we live in now? You mentioned about shifting the culture, building trust with our folk, with the people who we live around with. I think those are two really important ones. Is there anything else you can add to that?
2: Mm, I just want to say, or something even more basic, like just give it, just try. We have to try. Um, If we're not being racist or ableist or xenophobic or classist or transphobic or homophobic, it's because we're trying. We live in a society that is fucked up, that is racist, that is white, that um, gives us harmful messages about ourselves and each other. And so if we really want to figure this thing out, we've got to start with ourselves. And and part of that uh, is to just really just try, just try. Change the language, Um, don't laugh at the joke. Uh, Tell someone that you want to talk to them about this thing that they said that like, was inappropriate or like I think that's what we need to do like we don't um it's not rocket science akr that's what i want to say like it's really simple if we try then we might be able to get it right but if we don't
1: if we don't try then we will never get it right that is absolutely wonderful thank you thank you for sharing that and real. And I think, you know, most people are so overwhelmed and they think that we have to fix so many things so they don't really bother or they don't really question. Um, And this is real, just trying and doing the small things because they all add up. So thank you for sharing. Who inspires you, Ash? Who are the authors or thought leaders who you go to when you really need to have that sort of Belief or reimagination of the world? The first
2: names that are coming to my mind are um, Sylvia Rivera uh, and Marsha P. Johnson, um, two uh, trans women of color who are both uh, have passed on now. Um, when I think about what they navigated in their lives uh, and mm-hmm. how we, I see myself fighting for a lot of the things that they fought for and against. And um, they are kind of just important figures uh, for me and my black spirituality. And so I have pictures of them or remnants of them on my altar. I I wish to honor them every time that I, um, you know, do something related to trans liberation, which is everything. Um, but I, they, those, they are important women to me. Um, and I'm thinking about um, trans women who are alive right now. Uh, one of my friends, I mentioned her a lot, um, but her name is Kanataka Zary Brown, and she is inside um, a women's facility in, in North Carolina and in, in a prison for a f- about 14 more months here. Um, but I have been working with her uh, for the last three years to transfer to a women's facility, um, but also get her uh, gender affirming uh, care while she has to be incarcerated. Um, and she's another person that I really look up to. And she's taught me a lot about organizing and community. And um, also she's taught me a lot about what it means to be an abolitionist who is trying really hard to be in community with people beyond the walls. like. What I know about showing up for people who are in cages uh, comes from her and comes from all the people inside that I um, that I am able to communicate with, and so those people are are really really close to me too. Um, and in a lot of ways, I I pause and I I think about what they navigate, um,
1: and I think that I can I can do I can do something too. Do something too. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. How can we support you? How can we uplift your work? How can we make sure you are cared for? Is there anything we can uh, share?
2: No, um, not necessarily, but if you wanna support me, you can, you will uh, donate to your local abortion fund. You will uh, seek out your local abortion doula collective and find out what can be done to support them. You will uh, support and affirm people's decisions to have abortions if they want to, if they need that. Um, and you will um, use gender neutral language when you talk about abortion and when you talk about reproductive justice. Mm. And that those are things
1: that would really support me right now. Oh, you're so wonderful! Thank you so much, Ash, for having this conversation with me. Uh, your work is w- one of my favorite things to even think about in terms of how we can be agents of change. And I am um, really, really grateful. I consider myself a learner. Of folks like yourselves who are on the front lines of justice and liberatory movements. And I'm really grateful and appreciative for you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, AKR. Take good care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for being here for this conversation. Please support our work at Accessible Yoga Association by becoming an ambassador or checking out our studio at AccessibleYoga.org.